being salty and acting in a worldly way glorifies the world. Using godly wisdom and biblical instruction so that our words are seasoned with salt glorifies Christ. It is sad that mentioning biblical instruction or referring people back to scripture spurns some to put the P badge, the Pharisee, or the L badge, the legalist, on those who provide such insight. Our conduct testifies to whom we belong. And as Christians, our foundation for the truth is the Word of God in its proper context and understanding. That should not bring conflict among true believers in Christ. More often than not, I find myself thinking about my response, and if it is going to honor God, if it is a situation where deception abounds, then I take the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and ask thought-provoking yet respectful questions in response to their objections of my objections, which is usually when I meet resistance. It is ironic that when I was in the hyper-charismatic movement, I was typically met with praise for the words I wrote. They were neither challenged nor biblically tested, and looking back, I wish someone had tested them and rebuked me. I wish someone wearing one of those badges had used seasoned words to point me back to Christ and to the narrow way. Now that I discuss concerns I have within this movement while taking things back to Scripture, the love has faded by some, and so has the dialogue. You just heard an excerpt from my latest blog post featured on Love Subscribe. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Subscribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Subscribe. been tempted to act in a quote salty way is what the the culture that we're in now the society calls salty meaning that you act in an aggressive or tough way or that your words could come across as even being angry well I'm sure that all of us have battled with that at some point or another whether we are professing believers in Christ or even before (laughs) BC before Christ in our lives And uh, I wanted to talk about this today and actually use a personal example that happened to me within the past several days. I'm not going to mention names or uh, specific details about a specific individual that reached out to me, but it reminded me when I was thinking about using our words and and having our words seasoned um, with salt, as in Colossians 4, 6 instructs us as believers in Christ, it says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Whenever I'm faced with situations where people reach out to me, and, and a lot of times I get a lot of good feedback, positive feedback, which is always encouraging, but also you have to be aware that there's going to be people that aren't a big fan or really happy with what you're saying, or they're going to disagree. And we have to welcome those conversations because disagreement helps to sharpen us and it helps us to to model um, our walk with Christ in front of people and to give us an opportunity to glorify Christ, even in the middle of hostility or disagreement and to make sure that what we know to be true is in accordance with scripture. And being uh, a Christian, we are to demonstrate that we belong to Christ by our speech, by our manner and, and our word and deed and what we do. How we act and how we talk doesn't save us. It is really a means of testifying to whom we belong and that God has done an inner work in us that has transformed us and is conforming us evermore every day into the image of Christ by the leading of his Holy Spirit. 
that's what it means to be spirit-filled, really, and to be spiritually mature. But going back to being seasoned and having our words seasoned with salt and even thinking about Matthew 5.13 when it says, Jesus said himself, he said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? This type of saltiness, by the way, is not the slang term that's in our society of being aggressive or tough or angry. But this is talking in such a way that you're preserving the gospel when you speak. It doesn't mean that the, the gospel decays, but it means that when we conduct ourselves in manner and speech that we're preserving what the gospel is by how we conduct ourselves and that we're glorifying and honoring God in that process. And whoever we're talking to, no matter if we're talking to someone that we agree with or disagree with, we are to conduct ourselves in the same way. But in this situation I'm going to talk about today, this was a, a layperson that was messaging me, reaching out to me, and they were very discouraged by a recent interview that I had done actually back in November of last year with Doreen Virtue. And this interview consisted of when I was talking about my time in the apostolic prophetic movement slash NAR slash hypercharismatic movement, and I was talking about what happened, uh, how I conducted myself during that time, what happened at the end, and coming to the realization that I was a false prophet and measuring that against scripture, because that is the litmus test. That is the source. That's the foundation of truth. My experiences are not the foundation of truth, as you're going to hear me talk about in just a minute with this conversation. And pointing back to scripture as the foundation upon which we stand to make sure that what we're standing upon is solid and that it's based on Christ because the gospel, the Bible is based on Christ. It's pointing back to God. When we're talking about our words being seasoned in a salty culture, we all can fall into this trap. We can all fall into the trap of when we feel like we're being attacked, somebody's being hostile towards us or they're saying things in a manipulative way or they're saying things in a condescending way or they're combative. Our first instinct, which is human and fleshly, is to retaliate or to put someone in their place, and we become very arrogant and prideful in that sense, and we are not to be that way. We are not called to be salty, as what the world says. We're not to celebrate that, but rather we're to conduct ourselves in a gracious way. As Colossians 4 says, I'll repeat that again, it says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we are accountable to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We find this in the epistles that Paul is telling the believers in different churches that they are to conduct themselves in such a way. It's all about glorifying and honoring Christ. It's not about defending ourselves. It's not being a right fighter, but it's about making sure that we are glorifying Christ and we're testifying of to whom we belong. We're testifying of the kingdom of God, of his kingdom, and that there's been a transformation in us that only God could do himself. And are we going to get this right every time? Nope. There's many times that I fail at this, and I'm still working and, <laughs> and progressing in learning how by, and to be led by the Spirit and not by my flesh. And whenever I don't do this in the way that I would want to glorify God, then I'm, I want to be quick to repent of that and to bring that back to the Lord and to ask him to help me and to discipline me and to help me to understand where I'm messed up so that I can next time when I talk to someone that my words are seasoned with salt and that they are glorifying him and they're pointing back to him and that it's a seed planted in somebody and maybe the next person that comes along, they water it, but God gets the increase. So I had this thing happen to me a few days ago. 
And I wanted to share it with you again, no names, no details, specific details about a person. But this interaction was interesting and it reminded me of my time in the hyper charismatic church. So I had this individual that reached out to me. This person had been in contact with me before a few years ago, before I came out of this movement. They were very encouraged by the words I had written. It seemed like they weren't testing what I had said. Of course, I wasn't at the time testing what I was saying either. And so they were very pleased with me at that point. And then several days ago, this person had reached out to me, basically said that they came across my interview that I did with Doreen and that they were very discouraged by what I said in the interview. And they talked about how they were a prophet in training. And we'll touch on that in just a minute. There's some things in here that I, the reason why I share this is um, to, to help us to understand how we're to conduct ourselves as Christians, whether it's an unbeliever or it's a professing believer in Christ. And we are also to recognize when there are things being said that aren't matching up with scripture. And we are to test those things and point people back to scripture as Christians. We are to do that. And then you're going to see what happens when you do that. And some of the tactics that may be used in some of the hyper charismatic church at times, not everybody does this, but I can attest that I did this, not knowing that I was doing this, but it's just part of this I would, for lack of a better word, it's part of this culture. So this person continued to say that they were a prophet in training and they gave their definition of a false prophet, which was not someone, quote, not someone whose prophecies don't come to pass, but who is, whose fruit is false. That sounds like the same thing, but we'll move on with that and we'll address that here in just a moment. And then they wanted to know about how there was a false gospel in the apostolic prophetic movement or the NAR and that they noticed that there could be a tendency to uh, idolize the spiritual moves and such, but then they expressed their enjoyment of the prophetic atmospheres where they go after the presence of God and the fire of God, and that they've been to a specific church that's very popular in the charismatic movement. Um, they've been around the moves of God, and they feel like that none of the other churches can hold a candle to what the apostolic prophetic movement offers. And they said that every other traditional church that they've been to is mundane and stale, and they don't chase after the presence. They, cha they don't chase after the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Because I, I don't know about you, but for me, I tend to break down conversations now and tend to look at it and want to take it back to a biblical perspective and to point back to scripture and to really look at it. And it's not just even for that person to look at it, but really I even analyze past things I said and have said or have thought and take it back to scripture. I'm testing my own self as well along the way because there's things that I did and operated in and said and thought that were contrary to scripture. And I have to be honest in that and to admit that and, and I have to be willing to submit to God's authority and to his word and to be uh, conformed into his image and to have those things worked out as that lump of clay. So as this person continued to talk, they just said that they were, you know, they were sorry for the encounters that that, that had happened to me as at the end of my uh, journey in that aspect. And they talked about the formation of a prophet, that it's through a mentor and through the wilderness. And they talked about some of their own struggles. But in the end, at the very beginning of the conversation, they really made it clear that they were very discouraged by the interview. And so I took a little bit of time to think about what they were saying. And I responded back. First of all, I thanked them for taking the time to message me. Now, why would I do that? 
Well, I want to be respectful and realize that someone has taken the time out, even if they have grievances or they have uh, discouraging words to say or they have questions. They've taken time out of their day to respond to me. And regardless if it's respectful or not, I'm going to be respectful to them. I'm continuously reminded I do unto others as I would have them do unto me. And so I'm thanking this person for, you know, taking time out of their day to to reach out to me and also express the fact that I understand that not everybody's going to be happy with what I said. Not everybody's going to agree with it. And at the end of the day, it all goes back to what does the Bible have to say? What does the gospel say? What is the truth about some of these things that we're talking about? And I talked about how in the movement I was in, there was a heavy focus on apostles and prophets having governmental authority in the church and that pastors and churches are not relevant unless they are under an apostle. And I was told that I was a prophet and now understanding what a true prophet is according to scripture that I realized the error I was in and the mystical approach I took in my relationship with Christ. Because prior to this, my relationship had truthfully been more mystical. It had been focusing on experiences. Probably there was some Gnosticism mixed in with it. I think a lot of times those things tend to cross over. But there was very much a mystical approach to it of seeking after experiences, attaining a higher level spiritually, wanting to hear the voice of God, wanting to have dreams and visions and and seeing signs and wonders and chasing after the presence of God and all these manifestations and going to com- from conference to conference and service to service and, you know, always looking for, well, what's God going to do for me? And how's the Holy Spirit going to move? And who's going to, I wonder if someone's going to call me out and prophesy over me, or if I wonder if I'm going to prophesy over people or, you know, it's just, a, it's a focus on self rather than on God. And so there's a few things in the, f- the first bit of the conversation this person sent that I'm going to address right now. So as I laid the foundation and the groundwork for the fact that I was a false prophet and that the reason my understanding is so is because of what scripture says, I then point this person to scripture because they've already told me their definition of a false prophet. So again, I'm trying to find words. I want to use words that are seasoned with salt. I want to point them back to the truth. I want to be gracious and merciful and I understand that it can be very hard to be gracious and merciful when people seem combative and hostile. And this may not seem hostile to you, but at the end, it got a little off course the following day and um, got it got derailed pretty fast. And it wasn't really surprising it went in this direction, but we'll get there in just a few moments. But we can have this tendency to turn up the temperature in, in the conversation or the room or whatever, and we tend to get hostile and combative and argumentative as well. We're not glorif- we're not going to glorify God in doing that. We we have to be direct and loving and truthful to that person. I'll tell you something for myself what continues to be in the back of my mind when I think about conversations is that he was gracious and merciful to me in my deception, in my ignorance to reach out and to open my eyes and my ears for me to hear and see the truth and in the midst of my sin and my error and my deception. I want to extend grace and mercy. As a believer in Christ, I want to extend grace and mercy to that person because I understand that the same was given to me. Who am I to not extend grace and mercy to that person and not to share the truth with them? And if they don't, they don't accept it and they, they want to call me names and they want to, you know, over-spiritualize it and say this and that, and they don't want to accept it or hear it, that's not my problem. What I'm responsible for is being obedient to what the word says 
and conducting myself in such a way that I'm glorifying Christ, I'm not, that I'm not concerned about defending myself. I'm not concerned about the names I'm going to be called. I'm not concerned about how I'm going to look in front of that person. But I, my concern is their eternal state and calling them to Christ and back to the truth of his word. So I began to share with this person and I told them, you know, what Deuteronomy chapter 18, 20 through 22 states in Deuteronomy 13, and that a false prophet is actually one who prophesies falsely. And they also lead others away from God, even when they are accurate. And the definition of a prophet cannot contradict scripture. Prophets in the Bible were always pointing people back to God. The Old Testament prophets pointed to the Messiah. They were not in training. You will not find the school, the quote, school of the prophets as far as paying to be part of it, to be equipped and activated and such in scripture. The gathering of the prophets, the company of prophets, that's not the same as what it was according to scholars when you hear them describe it. There were no prophets in training. These, these men did not have to tune into a spiritual frequency to hear the voice of God. They didn't have to get quiet and have certain worship music on. They didn't have to have a certain atmosphere set in order to hear. I pointed this person back to scripture, the definition of what a false prophet is versus a true prophet. And I encouraged them to look at scripture and the prophets in the Bible and that those were prophets of God that did not err in what they said, because when the Lord spoke, he didn't miss it. I also talked to them, too, about the Holy Spirit. So in the hyper-charismatic movement, charismatic movement, there can be a tendency to be very spirit-driven, uh, talking about the Holy Spirit, that we have to set an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to move, that we're chasing after the Holy Spirit, we're giving Him permission, which I don't know if we've realized how silly that sounds to say that we're giving the third person of the Trinity permission to do something. It's just something to think about there. I know I've said that term in the past and it sounds very profound to say something like that and you know very relational and such but really it's demeaning to the third person of the trinity the holy spirit who testifies of christ by the way the holy spirit never draws attention to himself so the fact that we have a lot of emphasis on the holy spirit and very little emphasis on the atonement of our sin, on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, on being reconciled back to the Father, that there is this massive focus on the Holy Spirit and making an atmosphere for Him, giving Him permission, creating this environment where He can do what He wants to do, and having manifestations and all kinds of things going on. It's really running contrary to the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit does not testify of himself, as I've said. Even in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells his disciples that when he leaves, he will send the Comforter to them, and the Comforter will testify of Christ. He will testify of him. How does it, what does it mean to be spirit-filled? I'm going to do a blog post and a podcast on this and talking about tongues here very soon, very, very soon. And one of the things that you'll see in this movement as well but being spirit-filled, there's almost this haves and have-nots. There is this dichotomy made between those that have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and then those that are in the, these other churches that they're just not spirit-filled because they don't have the certain manifestations. And again, where is that in Scripture? You will not find that. If you're a born-again believer, you that Holy Spirit indwells you at the moment of salvation. 
So we'll save that for another time. A little bit of a teaser there for that. So back to this conversation I was having, as far as what the Holy Spirit does, that he points to Jesus Christ and he convicts, he matures those who belong to God, he indwells believers at the moment of salvation, he conforms believers to the image of Christ, and when the focus is on the Holy Spirit, this is not in accordance with Scripture. Uh, We do not chase after the Holy Spirit, nor are we told to chase after the Holy Spirit. Actually, we testify of Christ by the Holy Spirit in word and deed. And I shared just a little bit of personal insight with this. Again, my insight and experience is not the barometer of truth. I also know, too, that being a part of this movement, it gives me some credence in this movement with people that have been a part of it or are still part of it, instead of them being able to say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. You've never been a part of this. You've never experienced this or experienced that. Whereas I can say, oh, yes, indeed, I have. I've experienced fire tunnels. I've been through certain aspects of this. I've been in the prophetic ministry. I've, I've had these different things happen. I've had dreams happen and visions happen. And I've had to realize that a lot of those things were not in accordance with scripture and that I was using those as the the foundation of my truth, and it was collapsing. When the word of God is to be the foundation upon which we stand for the source of truth, in its proper context, by the way, because even that, the word of God is truth, but there are people that will take it, and they will twist it, and they will create a different doctrine out of it that is not biblical, and it's not according to the gospel. So I expressed some of these things and and asked some questions if they could honestly provide scripture and context that says we are to chase manifestations and an experience in, in services, or if they could provide scripture that says prophets have to be trained and that gifts are to be activated or imparted. And sincerely asking that, not in a rude way, but sincerely engaging them in conversation. Now, these questions never got answered. This person would not answer my questions. They just kept giving their experiences as the standard of truth. They never, I'm, I'm not kidding, they never once gave me any scripture to back up what they were saying. And so as I went on, um, I did express concerns to them about the particular church that they had mentioned and told them that uh, the gospel that they, they minister is questionable and that they needed to test that against scripture and not just base their personal experience um, as the barometer of truth. And I did encourage them to go back to the word of God. So as this person responded to me, they talked about some of the struggles, personal struggles that they were having. And again, I am not going to talk about those because that's not my place to do that. But they talked about some of the personal struggles that they had in their life that they were trying to overcome. And they begin to also talk about being a prophet of God, that uh, there's Nabi prophets and seer prophets and that they're identified by others and mentored and trained the wilderness. And these are all things that I had once taught, by the way, Uh, when I was in the prophetic movement, there's a lot of these words are used. A lot of this is regurgitated things that people are, uh, that people have said, but yet there's no uh, biblical foundation for a lot of the things that are taught. A lot of it is extra biblical information and knowledge man's knowledge. Now, another thing that will happen too in this movement, for example, I know this can happen anywhere, but for example, in this type of movement, you will hear people that because they believe that they are spirit-filled and that there is a distinction between those that are and those that aren't, those that are, quote, spirit-filled are the ones that are seeking after the higher levels in God. They're going up higher. They're being called deeper. They're, they love the spiritual things. And so this is what this person said to me and said, I like the things of the spirit because of my calling to, go, to be spiritual. I like to go higher. Whether or not this is meant in a condescending way, it can be perceived 
that way because it almost tends to to belittle someone and saying, well, I like to go after the spiritual things, but since you don't and you have an issue with it, you know, this seems to be a problem for you. If that was the implication there, if that was the case, I would have to disagree. The reason being is just because someone is not chasing after manifestations and they're not chasing after the next thing or the next higher plane in spirituality, but rather they're focusing on spiritual maturity of being conformed to the image of Christ on having the word of God dwelling richly within them. So that way that they can uh, be able to teach and instruct others appropriately and being able to be conformed to the image of Christ and to grow spiritually. And so that they're not deceived by winds of doctrine that come through that does not make someone less spiritual. And so there can be this, this uh, hierarchy that's created. Well, I'm, I'm going after the higher things of God. I'm going after manifestations and after the signs and wonders, and I'm not putting God in a box. You know, you'll hear that being said too. You know, these are like nice little catchy phrases, but at the end of the day, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter about the catchphrases because what ultimately matters is the truth of God's word. And if someone is saying something that contradicts his word, then we don't have to give credence to it. We don't have to give an ear to it. And we can actually lovingly, in love and truth, say something and to address it as we should. And then from there, the chips fall where they may as far as someone, if someone is um, being receptive to it, if God is softening their heart to be able to, to receive it and to listen um, and, and to acknowledge the error from the truth. So I responded back, and again, I took just a few minutes to think about how to respond to this and not be snarky or, quote, salty, but to again remind myself, I am a believer in Christ. I'm to have my word seasoned with salt. So I asked this person, do you have a high view of Scripture? And I asked that because they were pointing me back to their experiences or their own personal understanding. And I did also mention that I was, a, I was acquainted with some of the teaching that they were talking about, some of the terms and some of the teaching. And I said, I too like the things of the Spirit. I like being conformed to the image of Christ. I love the fruit of the Spirit. I love that Jesus did not leave me or forsake me, but that he sent the comforter to help me. And, you know, as any believer, whether you've ever been in this type of movement or if you haven't, and let me just tell you, if you haven't, don't feel like you're missing out on anything. Because as a believer in Christ, when we're, quote, ascending, so to speak, we're really submitting ourselves unto God and we're humbling ourselves and we're wanting to be hidden in Christ. It's not about us being seen or being known or having a platform or anything like that, but it's about serving and serving well and honoring Christ, honoring God and being faithful to him being faithful to what he's called us to and to understand that it's not for popularity. And goodness knows, I, <laughs> I know for myself, I've been learning that more and more because if I wanted to gain popularity, I would just go back to what I was doing. The, the reward of him is far greater than anything that this world could ever give or ever promise. It's far greater than any man-made ministry could ever try to to give, try to offer. There is a price 
that comes with that. But you have to weigh the cost. You have to count the cost and to, and to know that, that, that God's worth it because the eternal reward is far greater. This person continued to converse with me that, that evening and, and talked about some of the things they had gone through and some of the, the struggles. And, you know, I really empathized with this person and the, the fact of some of the things they've been dealing with. And they talked about how they were kind of recommitting this. These are their words, not mine. They said that they kind of recommitted or resurrendered more of their heart to the leading of the spirit versus their own soul. So again, this is my question when, I, when I'm going through what this person is saying. I'm thinking, has this person ever heard the gospel? As I converse back and forth with this person, I, I basically very directly but lovingly said, you need to turn to Christ and back to his holy word. Your faith is to be in him no matter what season or trial of life. I told this person, I said, I'm sorry for your struggle, but you need to trust in Christ alone. It is his work and not our own, which saves us and washes us clean. And that is good news. Then they began to say that they were in a certain season. They quoted somebody's name out of the Bible and said that they felt like they were in a certain season named after this person and that they felt like that the level of spirit and the anointing and the presence and fire that the apostolic reformation, the NAR or the apostolic prophetic movement provided stirred this person up. And that 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 they had even seen Jesus face to face. Now, I'm going to say this right now. Anyone who claims to have seen Jesus face to face, that needs to be tested against Scripture. As I began to talk to this person, uh, you know, they shared that they have seen Jesus face to face. And I highly question anyone who says that. Because for one thing, when we see people in the Bible that saw God face to face, there was drastic transformation that took place in them. Drastic transformation. You think of Saul on the road to Damascus, and he had Jesus come to him personally and ask him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He was persecuting the church, and he began to reveal the gospel of Jesus Christ to Paul himself. He transformed Saul into another man. So we see that whenever someone uh, encountered, had a face-to-face encounter with Christ, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, there was something dramatic, some dramatic change that took place. And now we're seeing people today that they're saying they see Jesus face to face, and they're not testing that. They're not taking it back to scripture. They're not thinking it could be an angel of light. There could be deception there. They're not testing it. They're taking their experiences, and they're making it the standard of truth. And this is one of the biggest things coming out of this movement that I want to say is that your experience, my experience, that is not the foundation of truth. And if you rest upon your experience as the foundation of truth, you're resting it, you're building your house upon sand. And it's going to collapse. It's going to sink because your experiences cannot stand up for so long. And I know I've said this before, but any person that goes, it's in the new age, you know, they have real experiences. I'm sure they have real supernatural experiences that take place. But we also know that those are demonically inspired and that they're not of God, and that they're not authored by God, and they're outside the confines and the boundaries of the truth of the Word of God. And we would tell that person, your experiences are not the truth. This is the truth. This is what, this is what the Bible says. As I continued to converse with this, this individual back and forth, I just, you know, encouraged them again that they needed to get back to the Word of God. They needed to test their encounters. And they, they were telling me people they were listening to that, um, that I'm familiar with that have had some questionable issues uh, ministry-wise, I encourage them, you need to test these people. You need to test everything against Scripture. And left it as, as far as that and also told them that, you know, our hearts are deceitful and wicked, according to Scripture. We are to test things by the Word of God so that we are not blown around by every wind of doctrine. And uh, just giving them caution and, again, 
you know, not saying this enough, but telling them not to allow their experiences to dictate to them what, what the truth was. So the conversation ended and then the next evening I received a message and um, what was in the message was not surprising to me. It was, I'll be honest with you, uh, when I looked at it, it was initially hurtful and it's not the first time I've heard anything like that. But whenever you do hear things like this, I'm a human being, I have emotions, I'm not a robot. Uh, When you have people say things like this and they're implying something in such a way, it is very hurtful. And I found myself uh, honestly being angry for a few minutes and this person had actually blocked me to where I could not respond to them in this dialogue. And so they did not even give me the opportunity to respond to them. So that was also um, a a little bothersome or upsetting. But at the end of it, I ultimately, I repented before the Lord for my anger, for allowing it to to have any sort of hold at all. And I also prayed for this individual and asked God to have mercy on them, to open their eyes and ears to the truth. Because what I'm about to read to you, if you don't have an issue with this um, and you can't take it back to scripture and see the troubling things of what's being said here, then um, you may need to go back and look and see if your understanding of the gospel is, is correct. And if you're, if you're taking your experiences and making them the barometer of truth, because it is very dangerous and it is very, it is very irresponsible. I'm just going to say this as someone who says that they are a prophet. First of all, if you are telling someone that you are a prophet of God and you're telling them these things, and you're basically saying that this, a particular dream is saying this about about someone and you're making accusations about someone and you're basing this on the truth and you're saying you're also sharing in this conversation well I don't read scripture very much I mean this person admitted to me I don't read scripture very much I don't pray as often as I should but yet they were basing their experiences on the truth and this creates an individual that is spiritually malnourished I hope that we can understand this. When we are basing everything on experience, on how I feel in a corporate gathering, what happens to me in a corporate gathering, how the manifestations happen, if there's any gold dust, if there's any feathers, if there's any gems that fall from the ceiling, if there's any manifestation, if I, if I roll around the floor and if I shake all over or I have you know, whatever happens, we could, there could be a gamut, a a list that we could create with this. When we're basing our walk with God on those things, and then we're saying we're a prophet of God or apostle or whoever we are, and even if we're not claiming a title, but we're basing our walk with the Lord on those things happening. And if they don't happen, then we're, we're just done for and we're stuck and we're discouraged. That's irresponsible. And it's, and it's spiritually immature. It really is. I'm saying this not in a condemning way. I'm saying this as someone who was in this movement and is well-versed and well-acquainted with these things and fell into the trap. And I praise God that he got me out of the trap and I didn't have to chew my leg off, metaphorically speaking, and be lame but that he was, he made me whole in spite of the deception, in spite of the error that I was in, in spite of my ignorance, in spite of my laziness, not to read my Bible in context. This is a dangerous thing when we begin to base our experiences on truth. And so I received a message the next day from this person, and I'm just going to read it for the entirety of it. And I apologize for some of the 
Um, there's some things in it that are a bit disturbing, so I apologize for this, but I have to read it in context. So this person responded the next day and then proceeded to block me to where I could not respond and said this, how do you not know you're influenced by a Jezebel spirit? I was thinking about this last night because essentially a Jezebel spirit is a person with a rejection complex. Not only that, but you are anti-NAR, which strikes me with you going for supernatural to legalism and making the Bible an idol. We're going to talk about a few of these things in just a moment. This person went on, the first century Christians didn't have the Bible, but the spirit, and boy, was it crazy. Anyway, I thought about how discouraged I felt when I walked away from our conversation and how much the air had been sucked out of my spirit. Well, last night I had a dream of a witch trying to cover my mouth and a spirit of witchcraft trying to possess me and a cat pooping but out of its stomach. As a seer, God warns me in dreams about people, and you were told that you were in rebellion, and that's the same spirit as witchcraft. So how do you know you haven't a Jezebel spirit? You don't have to answer me. I just wanted to share the dream with you, which, again, this person would not even let me um, answer them. I received this message, and as I said, as a human being with emotions, it was hurtful. And it did make me angry when I first read it because I thought, uh, here we go again with, with these accusations of these people, of people saying things like this at times. The fact of the matter is, this is par for the course. This is a rhetoric that runs through the hyper-charismatic church. Whenever you leave or call um, a leader into question or their teaching into question or you're not going with the flow or you're not bowing down to the status quo, then you automatically get the Jezebel badge. You get the religious spirit badge. That's not something that I had not ever heard before. Um, and again, this is just, it happens in this movement. It, sadly enough, it does. And what happens is people are demonized. Instead of answering questions, instead of giving a voice to people and, and abiding by what scripture says that people are allowed to ask questions and to test things against scripture, and we are instructed to do that, then people are demonized, literally, and they're told that they have certain spirits in operation rather than the Holy Spirit. So as this person continued, you know, you see this, that they're basically saying they were thinking about the Jezebel spirit, about the rejection complex. Nowhere in scripture do we find that. By the way, you don't find a Jezebel spirit in a scripture. There's no demon named Jezebel. There's a woman named Jezebel. Uh, we do see the you know, the types and shadows of, of her in the Old Testament bleeding over into the New Testament. But we're not seeing a demon named Jezebel that people need to write hundreds and hundreds of books on and how to deal with her and her daughter and her all her minions and everything else and Ahab. And, and these books are made and sold for profit is what happens. And then who do you listen to? Because everybody's got their own little spin on Jezebel and, and all these other spirits that don't even, that aren't even in, found in scripture. Then as this person went on, what I noticed too was that they mentioned about the first century Christians didn't have the Bible. And what I wanted to say to this person was this, that's not true, first of all. And I wanted to say, what do you think that the Bereans did in Acts 17? What were they searching? They were searching the scriptures is what it says to see if Paul, what Paul was saying was so. So they had the Old Testament to refer to that actually that's how they ministered the gospel was through the Old Testament. And then the apostles began to write their teachings out, which became the New Testament. And the Old Testament was 
and showing the New Testament, which the New Testament revealed the Old Testament. So they go hand in hand. So that is not a true statement. That is actually a false statement that's made that the first century church did not have the Bible. They didn't have the the Bible in the context of we understand the Old and New Testament together, but they sure did have the scriptures because Peter references uh, the scriptures in some of his epistles that he wrote. And he talks about how even the things that Paul wrote that were that were considered scripture were hard to understand. We see that time and time again in the Acts of the Apostles, if you look in there and you actually do a study and take time, you're going to see numerous passages that are referencing the Old Testament, many from the Psalms, from the, the Isaiah, from Ezekiel, from Joel. You're going to see many references to the Old Testament. So to make a statement and say that the first century Christians did not have a Bible, did not have scripture, is just flat out false. That is inaccurate, and that's really showing um, a lack of understanding and I say that with all sincerity, it's showing a lack of understanding um, and probably just regurgitating something that somebody else has said. So uh, this person, as they went on and they talked about their their frustration with this conversation when they walked away, which they had mentioned that right before the conversation ended the day before, they said that they didn't know if God had sucked the wind out of them or the air out of them, the second wind or what. And then the next day they they said, oh, they had a revelation as a seer prophet that uh, this in fact was actually my doing because uh, they had a dream and uh, the dream was essentially, it sounds like it was warning them that I was a witch. And I don't know where the cat comes in. Um, I, that was a bit disturbed. The whole thing was a bit disturbing to me. And of course, as this person said that they were a seer, that God warns them in dreams about people. So this person was, it sounds like that they were making the implication that God was warning them about me being a witch. Again, with being part, having been part of this movement, these were tactics I used. And I didn't even realize that I was using them. This was just stuff I was taught. So if people came against me, then I was automatically looking for the spirit in operation. Well, they must have a Jezebel spirit, or they must have a religious spirit. They must have this or that going on. And I would uh, utilize dreams in order to essentially demonize people and fixate on people when I had issues with them. It's just wrong. It's absolutely wrong. And it's hurtful, and it's sad. And at the same time, it, it uh, made me sad for this person because I thought, oh my goodness, the, the level of deception here is, is frightening. And I want to be gracious because again, God has been gracious with me and I didn't deserve his grace and his mercy. And so I wanted to respond to this person. And one of the biggest things I wanted to ask them, you know, I pointed them back to scripture. I pointed them back to the gospel. I told them about the first century church and, and how they looked at how scripture in the Old Testament. And I asked, I wanted to ask this question so badly. I, I wanted to ask, what if the discouragement that, that you felt was conviction? Because a lot of times as believers and even unbelievers before we're saved, you know, we're, we're people of, uh, of emotion. We're people of feeling. And we tend to go, well, you made me feel this way or you made me feel that way. And when it comes to things in scripture, then the thing that needs to be asked is if someone is ministering the truth, and this was the other question I had for this person, if I'm a, if I'm, if I'm a witch and God's trying to warn you, please show me in scripture where I have erred in not sharing the gospel with you. That's what I wanted to ask that person too. There were the two big questions along with trying to, 
to set something straight and pointing back to the Word of God. And also understanding that the Bible is not an idol. I don't idolize the Bible. I recognize it for what it is. It is instruction. It is God-breathed. It is profitable for correction, for instruction, and for training up in righteousness, is what 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 tells us. This word is a more sure word of prophecy, according to Peter. The, the word of God is God speaking. And if we have a problem with God speaking through his holy written word, then we have a problem with God himself. And I wanted to ask this person so much, you know, I didn't want to stop the conversation, but they made the decision to stop it. And so I wanted to say, how do you not know that you're not being convicted by the Holy Spirit by what I'm saying? Because I'm not pointing my, you back to me. I'm pointing you back to Christ. I'm pointing you back to scripture and you don't want to hear it. So your, your solution, your answer and response to me is, well, you idolize the Bible when this person is actually using characters, should I say, names out of the Bible in order to say they're in that type of season. You don't get to do that. You don't get to say that someone is idolizing and using the Bible and they're worshiping it and then you want to use things out of context in order to say you're in a Joseph season or a John season or an Esther season or whatever type of season because guess what? You're not Joseph, you're not John, and you're not Esther. In fact, when you look at scripture, those people are pointing back to Christ. It's all about Christ. It's not about you, and it's not about me. Joseph was pointing to Christ. Esther was pointing to Christ, regardless, which is an interesting fact. I learned this in church recently. I did not know this when we were studying Esther, but there's no mention of God in the book of Esther, which is fascinating to me, and, and there's a lot of things in there that are very fascinating, now understanding it better biblically. But it's all pointing back to Christ, and for the life of me now, I cannot understand why we're trying to find ourselves and insert ourselves into the narrative in Scripture. And if we're going to do that, then we need to be doing it in such a way that we're looking for the weakest, most vile person that we can find in the Bible and saying, that's who I was before I knew Christ. This is why I needed a Savior. And this is why I don't rely on my experiences. And I realize that the Bible is not about me, but it's about Jesus. It's about pointing back to God and being redeemed back to God and that he's the hero and he's the Savior. And I'm not. I'm in need of saving. But I wanted to ask these questions to this person and I didn't get the chance to. And so at the end of all that, I was left with going, God, I pray that my words were seasoned with salt. And I pray that you would have mercy on this person and that you would give them ears and eyes to see and hear the truth and that they would really know you as their Lord and Savior and that you would pull the scales off their eyes from this deception. Because to base your foundation of your walk with God on dreams, on visions, on signs and wonders, and to not have the realization of the cross of Christ and why he died on the cross for you and that you're to take up your own cross and you're to die daily and that you need a high priest ever interceding for you and that you need the him and th that you need Christ every day and that you need the leading of the Holy Spirit every single day and you want to be conformed to the image of Christ with every moment that you're here on this earth and that you long for eternity with him and that you understand the promise that you have, your faith is in your eternal life that only Christ can give you. When you don't understand all that and your foundation is based on 
this next experience you had in a conference, this person laying hands on you, this feeling that you had when someone going through a fire tunnel, when you had this manifestation happen and you did this and you did that and your, your faith walk is based on your experiences and that. And you, and if you were put in front of somebody, could you minister the gospel to them based on scripture? Could you open your Bible and take them to scripture and say, this is what the gospel of Jesus Christ says in context. If we can't do that as believers, then our foundation is going to fall apart. Part of the, our foundation and understanding the word of God is our conduct in word and deed. It doesn't save us. We are made for good works by God and we are called to good works by God. And part of the good work is how we conduct ourselves. I want to ask you a question as we close, and I ask myself this question. When you engage in conversations, first of all, do you engage in conversations where people disagree with you? And if you do, are your words seasoned with salt? Are your words seasoned? Are they gracious? Are they in such a way that you know how to answer people and that you're glorifying God? Are your words the salt of the earth that you realize you're the salt of the earth? And are your words preserving the gospel as you minister, as you teach, or as, as you talk to people? Or is your salt, has your salt lost its flavor and it's being trampled? Are you being salty like the world? <laughs> um, we all are guilty of that at one point or another. And I'm so thankful that I have a Savior that I can, can, I, I can turn to in prayer. I can come boldly before the throne of grace. And I can ask him to forgive me and that he is willing to f forgive me and to cleanse me from unrighteousness and to renew me. And one of the biggest ways that we are renewed is by the word of God. We must renew our mind with the word of God. So dear Christian, I want to remind you today that you need to stay in the word. Just because you read the word and you point people back to scripture, it does not mean that you worship the word. You need to know what the Bible says in context so that you are not deceived. And we must be of people that are, our words and our conduct is pointing back to Christ, it's honoring Christ, and that our words are seasoned with salt, and that we do not give in and cave in to this societal uh, mannerism and this societal way of dealing with one another in a salty way, in an aggressive and tough way, but that we are always at the forefront thinking, how am I going to honor Christ today in word and deed, and to show that he has done a work within me that I could not do. I hope this word has ministered to you today, and I hope it's helped you, and hopefully in future conversations you have with people, may your words be seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer each person. Be blessed today. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.